There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And then in 99, I start, I think, okay, well, I'm okay. And I, I, by that time, I'm really wanting to go back to live in London because I knew then that for someone like me with my content, I would never really have the career that I wanted in Australia. Welcome to hell, or dare I say, let's get the hell out of here. It's time to say a long, drawn out goodbye to welcome to hell also known as the transition to the new normal, also known as, wow, alcohol really is more fattening than food. It's very nearly time for us to crawl all the way out of our ISO cocoons and fly free, like the beautiful butterflies we are. I hope you'll stick around with me as I keep podcasting on this stream with my nitty-gritty committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. But before we say goodbye to lockdown hopefully forever, let's have another session with our ultimate soul sister, Rachel Berger. Two main things that I really wanted to talk to you about were, A, the decisions of that moment, you know, five-ish years ago where, where you go, right, I'm getting out of the rat race, I'm still working and I'm still a comedian and all those things, but I'm fucking off and buying 70 acres of land and I'm going to, like, move rocks. And the other thing that occurs to me is during coronavirus, and I'm very conscious of not making comparisons to the Holocaust. Yeah. Further to that, I have told my children a little bit about your parents' survival story, Rachel, because of the okay. extremity of their isolation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you could, you know, remind us of that, of how yeah. they survived. Yeah. I mean... Well, without... And this, I'm not meaning to joke about it. This is no, not at all. Joke. This, this no, is no, the but when I, I talked to my oldest kid the other day about Anne Frank, yeah. you know, I'm like, you know, this is this what we're going through. Let's have yeah. a talk about Anne Frank. And there's something to be learned from, because I only read Anne Frank the first time last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had no idea how funny that book was yeah. and how much joy there was in that book. That's, yeah. I'd avoided it like the plague because I thought it was going to be all terrible and it wasn't. No. So it's an inch, I think on both, in both respects, your story both most recently and historically is a really interesting story for now. Yeah. So so I'm going like a machine, 95, you know, I've started in 86, I'm like a machine, 95, 96, and right up until 99. Yeah. And then in 99, I start, I think, okay, well, I'm okay. And I, I, by that time, I'm really wanting to go back to live in London because I knew then that for someone like me with my content, I would never really have the career that I wanted in Australia. 
which is proven to be true because they want women, as you know, you know, they want women to talk about all the things that women, and I'm not, I'm not at all being disparaging about my colleagues because I think they're all amazing. But, you know, if you want to be fat and jolly or you want to be, you know, um, talking about being single or drunk or being unhappy, mm. if you want to be a particularly potent woman who isn't resigned to being a female object, you have opinions, but you also have a pair of tits which you like and you're not scared of it. Yeah, that's not what, you know. The fact that you have consistently refused to fulfil that role of I'm single and don't have children and isn't that awful? Yeah, because it because no, it's, it's not awful. awful. <laughs> you know, why, do you, why does it have to be awful? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it is in some ways, but probably it's not in the ways that one would expect. But I think, but the thing is, I wouldn't play the game, and uh, and I couldn't play the game. It would be hypocritical. It would be the, the opposite of everything I had said in my work. And I think one of the fundamental rules of stand-up comedy, regardless of gender, is you have to be at one with your content. If Absolutely. you the audience knows. So for me, it was about being potent, about, it was about having an opinion. It was also about, you know, loving my body, loving being a woman, whatever that meant, uh, not scared of my potency, but at the same time, you know, so, so therefore I wasn't going to go and make a fool of myself as some sidekick to a male uh, like others have. Not prepared to do that. Not prepared to talk about loneliness and about and what all that shit, which is what they still want in this country. Mm. So in London, it didn't. In England, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But I, you know, I just anyway. So I had sold this apartment that I paid off, rather than thinking I'll just rent it and go. I just went. I just went because I'm like one or the other, Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm moving to England. Whatever. So I had an elderly mother. My brother at that time, who's eight years older than me, um, my brother would have really have nothing to do with my mother. So I, and my mother and I have a very complex, difficult relationship. So, but I still felt you know, on a very deep level, like all of us, um, there is the, the warrior princess. There is also the dutiful daughter, the mother. That they're All of them. We have all of them. That's the thing. And I guess it's about negotiating which one at that time. Mm. We all have that, right? Can I just put a pin in this, Berger, just as a shorthand answer to what's going on in our houses that you asked before. To me, and I see this not just in me, not just in Michelle, but in almost every, you know, quote, unquote, powerful, successful woman with children, the warrior, you know, kick-ass warrior, Zena warrior princess is there, exactly what you've just said. What our male colleagues don't have is the little girl pleasing mum, is the little girl going, oh, whose birthday is it? Have you got a cake? Let me take care, let me take you to the doctor. So that stuff, which is not even men's fault. It's not men's fault. It's not women's fault. It is there, though. And when we pretend that it's not there, we lie. It ha- yes, you're absolutely right. We, have to, we play all those roles and that's mm. why women get sick and that's why women get mm. tired because you are mm. both the nurturer of your mother and the nurturer yep. of your daughter or your son and, and the nurturer of your plants and your dogs and your girlfriends. And, you know, you, you can't, you, you know, and I, without having children, I did that for girlfriends, for friends. Absolutely. I've done it for me. Yes, well, I did it because I guess that's where it came out for me. So, um, so then, so I decide I'm going to to England because I have a future there. I don't hear. I sell the apartment um, and then live in a little flat in Elwood. And I go, I won't go right away. My mother's living in Queensland. My father at that time has been dead for about ten, fifteen years. My mother at that time's about. 70-something and 78-something. And so I think I'll just stay here for a year and keep working and set up everything in England because I want everything to be right when I go. 
because we live under the illusion that if we just do everything perfectly, it will all fall. For then we have control. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm a control freak, so and double because of the Holocaust experience. Because, it, you know, it, uh, this is answering your question on many levels. One is I'm telling you the story of what why I'm here because you need to know bullet points so you know how I got here. But the other is being the child of Holocaust survivors, yes, makes isolation much easier for me. And in fact, on a very, on a, you know, I embody viscerally my parents' experience. It's well documented by people. Sure. All my Holocaust yeah. survivor friends whom I have been speaking to regularly, they will say things like, I don't know why everybody's complaining. There's no one with a gun to my head consistently. Yeah. And these are people, you know, they've got, they're fine, they're well off, they're older than me, they've had their kids, they've got grandkids, they've got, and, you know, they, it's not hard for them. But even people in less situations, like, for example, this, this woman that I'm speaking to is in her 50s, you know, horribly abused, so she's got that trauma. So for her, isolation is like, so I think that makes it easier, the idea of being like, also the idea of resilience, because yes. we watched our parents get over it you know the thing about Anne Frank if you go to the Anne Frank Museum it says on the door of where she was hidden I still think all men are good yeah. and, and you know there's been a lot written about that because only a child could do that yeah I agree so yeah. I think that child part of me and others and my child part has not had a lot of freedom in this lifetime mm. uh I think, you know, it keeps going so part of it is yes I'm, I'm not I, I look for me it's a piece of piss compared to people. You know, when I hear about my mother, my mother died January 30th. God forbid it would have gone into March because not to be able to go there, not to be able to do, to be that dutiful daughter um, would have been awful at this time because she was very angry and very unhappy and an absolute cow to me until the very, very last breath. I had to just let it go because there was nothing. But I was there. Mm. But, and I knew that even though she didn't really realise that I was actually doing a lot, I was doing all her finances. I'd organised the nursing home. I was talking mm. about I was fighting on them. She didn't even know. She just thought I was being a pain in the ass. So for all the people now that are, that have got relatives dying, I can't imagine. Oh, can you imagine? yourself in that situation. You've got someone, a husband, a partner, a father, anybody dying or a sick child and you can't see them. My heart starts to... Can I just go back to something you said as well, which is much less significant but more common? Because I think I keep getting um, focused on, I heard a story about surrogacy the other day. Imagine if your fucking surrogate baby had been born and you can't go. I heard that. Yes, I heard that. A woman's waiting for me. Oh, the horror, the horror. But one of the things that I was so struck by with um, Anne Frank, um, aside from the, you know, beautiful humanity of it, was how mundane the irritation was too. So even in the middle of the fucking Holocaust, she's there going, oh, God, he's a pain in the ass. He said the thing that was, you know, obviously not in that language, but those day-to-day irritations that seem to me so many of us are experiencing if you're in lockdown with other people um, and simultaneously recognising how petty it is but also how human it is. Yeah. Well, I think one of the good things about it is that um, because virtually I went into isolation when I came here. Yes. You know, for me this... You're practised. So so initially what's been interesting is that initially this brought up for me 
uh, first coming here, a steep learning curve of just not ever having lived in the bush and a lot of things I didn't know. But I needed that because without mm. going through every single nuance, it's, it was all about control and letting go. Yeah. No yeah. amount of mindfulness workshops, Buddhist meditations, mm. nothing mm. would have taught me what nature is because you, one of the questions you said, think about, you know, well, what is nature? The thing about mm. nature in this COVID-19 things, it, period, nature hasn't changed. How arrogant was I to think that I could, I was in control. I now feel that I'm so much part of the environment. In fact, and I think when you said just a minute ago, Nelly, that in lockdown, you begin to notice all the pettiness, all your own human foibles, that other foibles of the people around you is because you are really like living then in a cave. You've created your own little ecology with all its smells and farts and everything else, you know what I mean? And so you really become in high relief aware of your own your own conduct in that environment and the conduct around you. And it is, it's both, it's so beautiful because on the one hand you become more tolerant of others and yourself, I think, but you also realise how you are part of an ecosystem. And that's the biggest, I hope that people come, come away from this at least having a little bit more of appreciation for each other in the sense that we are all flawed, we are all just rotting bodies and one day we will rot into nothing and if we could only understand that then we could back off it's a thing of age like i would you know again and again i will remind you you need to maximize this time in your lives now because it will pass and your children will get grow up you've gone to nature like you recognize anyone with ptsd is going to have control issues fucking anyone any of us with ptsd is going to try and control yes you've gone to nature to go show me that i have no control you know teach me to be at peace with that yeah. Which is just another version of exactly what we're all going through with coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, how many people do you see still, whether in your own life or, you know, turn on the news, even that stuff of going, well, people can't really take much more isolation, so we'll open up the pubs. As though the virus is listening in, going, oh, well, Nellie's on the edge. So I'll just stay out of the pub yeah. <laughs> or I'll do, you know, it's like it doesn't work like that. We've still no. got the illusion yeah. that it, our timetable can be imposed on this virus. It's very bad because I think it's about control. It's about also the hubris of humans that they think anything is doable, anything is controllable. And still yeah. even the big picture when you think, do you not see that this, you know, America spends $47 billion on on arms. Yeah. It means $47 billion means nothing. Yeah. And something like they had like 500 respirators all over the United States. So that's where the value system goes. But yeah. also $47 billion and it's not doing, this is a virus, this is nature with all the conspiracy theories that it was man-made. I don't know. But do you not see that this thing, invisible thing that you can't see on a radar, that, mm. no, people don't, they still don't actually think they can be killed by it. They don't yeah. think that they don't, I don't think people actually, a lot of people, many do, but a lot of people don't actually recognise that this is the way the world will end if we're not careful. It's already on its way. If we're talking about a natural order of things and, you know, as the Buddhists say, samsara, then this is a plague. And there's too many people yeah. and they're being killed. It's happened before. It's a plague. There are, it's people that make global warming and it is a plague. And I don't think 
in the 21st century, it's very hard for humans, particularly in the first world, to think that something like this is, is we can't conquer it. We are so used to, as you say, first world privilege, you know, kind of situations. We have had it our own way yeah. for a long time. Well, it's, it's also, just, you know, the, yeah. the plagues have hit Asian countries before and, you know, yeah. it was tearing through China in December and January and it was barely making the news in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. until it really hit Europe that mm. anyone started to notice. And so I think white people, let's be honest. Yeah, 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 and still started killing white people. And now that it's decimating America, I think, you know, just today I saw footage of people uh, protesting, but it was very close to rioting in LA, yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. And again, they're protesting a virus. Like, what yeah. do you think it's going to, you think you're going to beat the virus? By I know, it's hilarious. It's absolutely yeah. hilarious. It's like, you know, here, there is, in Tasmania, there are seven toxic ants and aren't quite vulnerable to bites. And I cannot tell you, it took me so long before I actually realised when there are ants, walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I didn't consciously come, it wasn't a conscious thing of I need nature to heal. It was, I could see in the two years, three years before, that the only thing that made a shift was nature because I had no control of it. I had to bend to, to be able to live a life I wanted. Uh, and the only thing that could maybe bend was nature because it's authentic and it's pure. Um, money, people, position, the ego wasn't going to do it. The ego did everything until I was about 40 or 45 and then it just you know, just what didn't, didn't you work. Had to, you had to surrender. Yeah, I have to surrender. And I hate using that language because it feels like a defeat. Well, that's, I was just think, I was just about to say that. That's what frightened me about Nelly stopping work. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that's and, only where 20th, that's 20th. But where is your what is but, also, but also because I, and Nelly says it a lot, you know, stop stopping fighting things and accepting them. And it's because my whole, I felt like my whole career, my whole 
life was my career yeah. and every success I ever had was came from fighting so hard, yeah, fighting, yeah, yeah. fighting, never giving up. And yeah. Like I'd never got any easy breaks. I just fought and fought and fought. Yeah. And so I felt like, well, as if I would stop fighting, but then, yeah. then definitely now at this age, it isn't working anymore. No. So it's really hard for me to well, make it. Is, the thing is what I would suggest to you is it probably is still working for, for people. Oh, not for me, yeah, not for me. Not for mm. you because you, with all the fighting, you also had your, your inclination towards Buddhism and what that means. You also became a mother and what that means. So what I would suggest is that there is another part of you, thankfully, that mm. is growing stronger because I think the women that I speak to that don't have the courage to walk away uh, for what it, whether it's children and they want to look after their child or whether because they just don't want to fight or because, you know, I'm not unlike you, Michelle, where I fought for everything and then, I you know, it didn't matter in a patriarchal world. I was just seen as that bitch with a loud mouth and big tits. It didn't win me anything, the fighting. It made me look like I was a complete cow and it, difficult to work with, right? So uh, I don't think the fighting did anything except wore me out. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know which, I think Nelly was there. I'm not sure whether you were there, Michelle, but there was one of the last up fronts that I did, and this is why I didn't do any more, was because uh, Susan Proven had gotten Ted Robinson into, um, to, to, and a choreographer to, to choreograph the opening of up front with all the women in rubber gloves dancing around, slapping each other on the bums. I remember we all went, uh, what, excuse me? Uh, we didn't sign up for this. Upfront is women stand up. We don't dance. We don't sing. And rubber gloves slapping each other on the ass. Um, everybody in the dressing room was going, "What is this? What is this? This is she's in the afternoon. This is fuck. This is shit. This is what like a place." And so, and I'm listening, and I'm getting angrier and angrier because I don't want to do it. And uh, I don't even know. I think it might have been Julia who was who was hosting, but she wasn't really there in the afternoon. Anyway, uh, we did one rehearsal and it was just disgusting. It was like folly beger sort of, you know, can-can crap. And then I just lost it. I just stopped. We had for a break and I said, look, I, I can't, I can't, I can't not say anything. I would be a hypocrite. I was also then representative, variety representative at, at MEAA. And mm. I said, look, we, none of us want to do it. Susan mm. <laughs> mm. just looked at me and she said, well, or is it just you? That? And I said, no. And, and they, everybody shat themselves. Pulling together that kind of idea, Michelle, that you're just talking about, and I feel the same thing. It's the tension in the word surrender. The surrendering, which sounds a bit like defeat, yeah. I, I don't think, you know, I don't really see it. I think the word surrender is hard or something. I don't know what the word is, but it's more like, you know, relaxing into it or, or you know. Because bending sounds rude to me. <laughs> <laughs> Allowing to... Allowing yourself to step back, yeah. you, know, you can see clearly, means that when it comes time to, you know, to use your strength, you yeah. use it. and it's much more potent because by the time I did that, I'd already been living on Phillip Island on a farm for a year and I'd come yeah. And that was why. I don't know. I probably would have said something before, but it wouldn't have been as potent. Mm. But I just opened my... Nobody asked me to represent them. Nobody... I, I just... I knew that nobody wanted to do it. And I felt that mm. I was the oldest and I had nothing to lose. Susan already hated me for reasons, I don't know, but she already hated me. Uh, my career, I'd already been living on Phillip Island for a year. I didn't need mm. Susan's approval or indeed the comedy festival to do my work. But every single woman didn't want to do it. And how 
disgusting and hypocritical and diminishing would it be if we as a group gave in to the demands of this comedy festival director who meant well but was thinking about the commercialization that is objectification of female body all the things that none of us want right so i just said we don't want to do it and then eventually just said to each person do you want to and everybody said no 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 and they didn't do it susan didn't give forgive me for about three years until eventually i met with her one day we had a coffee and i said look at you you know we're past it now by walking away for whatever reason um you do find strength in something else because I would suggest to you, Michelle, that that idea of defeat, surrender, not fighting is ego. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can just kind of give away the power of that and allow yourself to be there in that space, I think you, you do get, it's like you fill up with some other strength and you also give yourself the opportunity creatively to then take all the mastery you've got of whatever it is you do, what we all do, and to go in a particular, like I wrote Hold the Pickle, the show about my parents. I've never been an actor, never been nothing, never, don't know fuck all from fuck all about acting. <laughs> and well, I don't. I, mean, I think I, that should be the tagline. I don't yeah. know fuck all about fuck all acting. I still hardly. I mean, I did a play last year for the first time. Yeah. A real play, and with real actors, and I, I just could not take it seriously. The director will never work with me again. She hates <laughs> She'd say things like, "You cannot walk away now." And I said, well, yes, I can. And But it was hilarious just watching how much of my stand-up experience and the potency of that, you know, it carried me through. I actually got great reviews and I fucked it up every night. Every night I forgot lines. Do you know, I reckon that's one of the best things about being (laughs) like a a maverick stand-up. It doesn't matter if you're you know, in ABC settings like me or you're in a, in a theatre with trained actors, you're on TV or Michelle, you know, a whole range of different things. I've had that very similar experience where you just go, oh, no, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and you watch other people kind of go, what? Yeah. Like, that is an option available to me? Like, yeah, I'm not going to be shut out of the yeah. cannon. No? Yeah, yeah, no, and you can't. You know, she would say, like, things, what is your motivation? <laughs> <laughs> what is your motivation? I don't know. It's so serious too. Speaking of Buddhism, I mean, Michelle has got me reading some Buddhism, which has been fantastic. And the, one of the things I love most about it is just that idea of lighten the fuck up. Here's what my motivation is. I'm probably not as involved as Michelle is, but I've been to a few retreats and I've been to, to for eight hours of listening to Buddhist teachers and I've been warned, you know, this one or that one, you know, that Lama, yes, yeah, she doesn't, you know, Lama, whatever, doesn't, you know, he doesn't make sense and he uses ridiculous medicine <laughs> on and on and on and on. And in the middle of it, he'll burst out laughing and it'll bore you shitless. And that's exactly what happened. And for the first hour, I would go, what the fuck am I doing you with this guy? Yeah. Gobbledygook. The irony was that you get, you just listen and listen and it doesn't make sense. But in the middle of it, they say, me, we all die. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they say it in Tibetan and they laugh and then you all sit there and you kind of, ha ha, you chuckle along with him and then you have to wait for his translator to say it in English and then you all laugh and then he laughs again and yeah. his little eyes are sparkling. Yeah. But I also find that if you just you just let it float over you, it's like the first couple of series of 
Game of Thrones. Like I, I couldn't tell who was where, or I couldn't tell which family was which. But no. it wash over me, and then eventually yeah. you go, oh, yes. That's like a long, long Buddhist teachings. Eventually you go, oh. And that's one of the most profound experiences I had in terms of um, listening for a long session was that I listened to this one guy for, like, for hours, and and everybody's got their shoes off and all like, and I'm really <laughs> sensitive to smelling. Everybody's. <laughs> Why am I here? I'm going to throw up. All these stupid hippies with their stupid fucking bags. Oh, <laughs> anyway, at the end of it all, thankfully, I'm talking to, and I'm a clean freak, right? That's part yeah. of my job. Anyway, um, what was really interesting, and this happens a lot, I've been told, is that I talked to a friend that was there afterwards and she said, I can't believe he went on and on and on. And the thing that really, really profoundly impacted me was the story of the duck. You know, how the duck went on the river and the guy was shooting. And I said, I don't remember what, I don't know what story with what duck. I don't remember any story with any duck. Was there something about a duck? <laughs> and I said, but what about the mirror, the dusting of the mirror? You know, he said that you, that 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 um that uh, enlightenment is like a dirty mirror and it's covered with dust, and then you clean it and suddenly see the reflection and it's clear. So I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, I, that was so clear. And of course, and, just, and he said you have to clean the mirror again and again. So for me, I remember the dust and the mirror. And yes. the I'm thinking Windex. I've got the most rag. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> And the other woman's got some story about a duck and duck yeah, yeah. and and so that's the thing with any and so it's where you are, what yeah. you do and what's all we do. And that's why sometimes it's magical because you at the time you think, I just want to eat, I just want to throw up. Yeah. And also you want it all. And then you realise you go, look, when I came, I always used to hear that saying, that very famous Buddhist saying, on the road to enlightenment, chop wood carry water. When you reach enlightenment, chop wood carry water. I was literally chopping wood here one day and then I was carrying water because I didn't have a hose. And there was a guy that was working with me, a gardener kind of guy. It was pretty zen. We didn't hardly talk all day. I thought it was a bit creepy. But then at some point I looked at him, I said, look about I got wood carrying water. He said, on the way to enlightenment, good luck. I hope you get there. But if not, just keep carrying the water. And, the, and I went, what, like, what a lesson. Yeah. You yeah. know, what a, like I'm doing it. I didn't yeah. even know it was just Timmy. I was going, oh my God. Do it. Just bloody do it. I think that's, that's the other thing. Just do it. Just keep doing it. Stop waiting for this kind of, I mean, it's that control stuff. When you, As you said, when you've got a trauma background, whatever, for whatever reason, it's like I want to get to the perfection. I want the enlightenment. It's like I just started reading Buddhism like two months ago. Like, it's impossible. But that's part of that's that's what it is for me. I'm going to sit in the shit. Sit in the shit, mate. That's right. And it's not the thing is if you don't think of it as shit. I mean, I've had terrible. I've never really gotten back to the financial security that I had in 2000. Um, but a lot of my friends have died. And coincidentally, three really close girlfriends that I spoke to every day. And then my brother, who's eight years older than me and who's very healthy, got cancer, died. And then my mother died. So I'm the I last didn't one. know your brother died, died, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. I remember meeting him at Jesus yeah, Lee's. Yeah, he wasn't. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. So then you think, right, so I'm the last one in my immediate family. So yeah. So I actually don't have to be anything for anybody. I've no. known nothing. So, uh, so why am I, why am I struggling? So we, it feels like in coronavirus we're surrounded by the truth that death's everywhere. I mean, it always is. But, you know, it's like more apparent um, at the moment. 
have having experienced a lot of death recently, do you feel like that's helping you, hurting you, neutral, something else? I grew up with death. You know, my father had an arm blown off during the war. And so the impact of what a human could do to another human was very much there. I, death has been walking with me since I was a child because I had no grandparents, no family, no nothing other than my immediate oh. family. They had all died. My father had an arm blown off and my mother had been forced to pick weeds in the snow uh, in the concentration camp. So she had really bad chillblains and her skin would split in the winter. from mm. So the, the body's deterioration and death were really, really very apparent mm. to me from childhood. I, I don't think I've ever really, uh, I've never really been not conscious of it. The thing about people dying is it's just sad because it takes a long time to develop a, particularly if you are on your own, to develop these really firm friendships and you yeah. know if those people are going to be there at the back of the bus. I mean, we expect our parents to die. But when mm-hmm. friends die, and especially, you know, there's nothing you can do. That's, I found that very hard. Being with them, I could talk to them, we could Skype, but in the end there was nothing I can do. Uh, and, um, and it also, more importantly, makes you think about your own mortality. I turned 66 in February. Fuck me, you look 50. Like, oh, seriously. Uh, three spotlights on my face. Oh, it's my cool. God. This Is this nature? Seriously? Like, I am not blowing smoke up your ass. You look our age. Well, thank you. Well, I'm not kidding. I think, I think it's just, look, I don't know what it is. I think it's just, okay. look, it's just genetics, really, my mother. But, but the thing is, see, I don't have lines, but I've got to see it. I'm getting saggy, but I don't care. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, if you've got that kind of round face, you do get saggy. And what are you going to do? You're going to do this so you look like somebody sat on your face. I don't, I'm never going to do that. I'm <laughs> you know, but I think, um, I, I, so at 66, you know, that's an age. It's an age yeah. where, you know, my friends were all in their 50s that died. My brother was only 72 and really healthy. Um, it's random. Mm. Life's really, that's the whole thing. Aren't you yeah. shocked though? I'm frankly shocked that your mum only just passed. Last, I remember years ago you telling me you were going up to see your mum uh, in Queensland. And I mean, the life that your mother lived. Yeah, 97. She was 97. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, and fighting till the end. Yeah. Wow. Fi- and complete, no dementia. The whole body fell apart, heart, body, kid, no dementia, which is why she could say to me, why are you, why don't you just go? There's nothing you can do. Just go. Because uh, the nurses and the, whoever was there could help her. See, the thing about, the things that people don't realise about survivors of any kind, real survivors, yeah. particularly of torture and trauma, is that what it means is that they survive at any cost, at any price. Yeah. So my mother was always strategic. The minute my brother wasn't used to her anymore, she didn't want to say him, even though she adored him. He was the firstborn after the war. But then I became the one that she would tell me, and it's not unheard of where they say, without you I'm nothing, you're the one I need, you're all I have. Um, the, the, I've heard that many to child of Holocaust survivors say that's what they're saying. You're all I've got. You're all I've. What that means is you're all I have to look after me when I'm dead, when I'm dying, or doing. My mother saw me as a commodity, and to you know, and people say no, but she loved you. She, but she loved you in her own way. No, well maybe, but it took me a long time to say actually she didn't. She mm. did because love is action, and that didn't happen. It took me a long time to accept. Really, I can I can understand it. And I, and I have enormous respect for it. And the thing about all the pickle, people have often said to me, with all the horrible things that went on, the love for your parents is real. It is. 
I loved them, but they were not able to love me. That part that loves got cut out and replaced with, how do I get food today? But don't you think, though, that it was love that kept your dad coming back? And if we can just circle back to, to what I said to my son, Louis, when he and I were in bed one night recently and he started saying, I can't take this anymore. I can't take being in this house anymore. I can't take it, you know. And I said to him, what we were just saying earlier, I said, listen, you know, at least there's no one outside. We're not hiding from anybody. We are hiding from an illness. We're trying not to get sick. I said, you know, in, people have had to hide from soldiers. And I said, my friend Rachel, her parents hid in a cupboard for months and months and months. They were lying down in a cupboard. And every day the man snuck out to find food to bring back for the lady. And she had to just stay in that cupboard and pray that he would come back and not get caught. And she didn't know every day. So that was love. That It is love. Their love for each other was, was, was they, you know, they were very abusive to each other, but they love. But it's also a love born out of need. It's a love born that together they were more of a force than alone. I mean, my mother had said to me once, I said, what made you, because they got married a year before the war. And I said to my mother, what made you marry dad? Did you really love him? No. I just thought it'd be better being with someone. But he loved her probably, I mean, she, there's a, there's a continuing, there's a line in the show that I repeat again and again and again that my mother used to say. She, he would do amazing things uh, to have them survive and she would say, you know, your father, he loved me too much. Being inside and cooped up, I, I think personally, uh, whether you like it or not, some people are enjoying it, particularly the introverts are loving it. Mm. But I think, let's say for Louis, Mm. I would say, okay, look, my parents had to be very creative. They were smoking and they both were smokers. And so my father got newspaper from somewhere and my mother used a razor blade to very finely shade the ends of a broom that was in the, in the, under the cupboard and they rolled that into cigarettes and they smoked it. So I'm not suggesting... They smoked that. a broom. They oh. smoked the wood shavings off the broom. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's why my father had lung cancer. Apart from the two packs of cigarettes he smoked every day. Although your mum did live to 97, so... See it as an opportunity to be creative. Or, you know what, maybe throw him, if you've got a cupboard anywhere, throw him in the cupboard for (laughs) half an hour. Seriously, and say, have a feel of what this would be like. You know, Louis' trouble is, and he and I are in the same boat here, We it's so sad. He and I are both literally dreaming at night time of Bali because normally in winter we go to Bali for a couple of weeks. And I said to him... Our minds, no. It moves around. Like there'll be, you know, my my little one, she is what you're talking about, Virgo. She loves it because she has a really hard time at school. Yeah. You know, so school, the 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 spectre of lunchtime looms large in her mind as a as a time where she might have a de- very hard time. Oh. Whereas she gets to stay home with mum and mum can't fucking leave. It moves around, but also, I, I mean, I don't know, we're talking shit, but would it, would it be any use to try and get a child to think about, if they're having really have to think about how much worse it is for other children in other homes whose parents, they don't have the comfort, they may not have heating, yes. whatever, and to do something to, to get them to think about what they would do to help a child like that? Would they write them a little story? Would they write them a little card? Would they, you know, something where it's not about them? You know, it's great. Their school is onto that. So they have these right. projects that they're doing. Dali's working on her project is with, with a group of kids. So it's all on Zoom and all that. But Dali's project is um, 
uh, how to help people with disabilities access transport yeah, safely yeah, yeah. during yeah, yeah, this yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Louis is about um, uh, staying aware of uh, asylum seekers and their challenges during yeah. this time. That's brilliant because it takes them out of their own reality. With people listening as well, one thing I would caution with that is depends as well on the kid. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm thinking of my little one compared to my older one. The older one you could do that with because she's got that sort of personality that could absorb it. The little one would be so overloaded with empathy yes, that you'd be devastated. Yeah, and the other thing is I, I trust the school to take care of it more than I trust myself, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's actually, I mean, that might be an interesting note to end on because I think it's like everything we've talked about today, both mm. contradictory things are true at the same time. Yes, you have got two arms and you're grateful and you're in your safe house in Tasmania or me in the Burbs and Michelle, whatever. Yes, we are fine, but yeah. it is also hard. Like both things are true. You know, it doesn't have to mean that someone else's um, existence isn't harder and yeah. that someone else's is easier or that you're ungrateful and grateful at the same time. They're all true and that's the hard thing. Yes, absolutely. And I just wanted to say this at the end. If you sit with it... Uh, and, in fact, somehow in your mind say, okay, well, what is the best outcome for me from this? I think what you'll find, same way that people are externalising these things they don't normally do, I think it's very interesting, particularly because a lot of people are dreaming. I've been hearing that a lot. A mm. lot of people are having dreams. I think it might be a good opportunity for people, kids and adults to sit with it, absolutely sit with it, but also um, write things down or paint them or mm. allow yourself another creative route that you wouldn't normally use. I, I think it's a great opportunity and it may not come again to actually delve into other resources in your mind. Not oh, totally agree. Thank you so much. Um, it's been so great talking to you. So good. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. No, no, thank you for inviting me. Thank All you. Right. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. See you guys. Stay safe. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you for downloading Welcome to Hell. I hope you'll hang around on this stream for some all-new episodes of the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life, starting in mid-June. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.